Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. Man, my name's Gerald. It really is a gift. It's a privilege to be with you all tonight. I'm excited for where we're going. I don't have a lot of time, and I don't want to waste time. Um, So we're going to go ahead and jump in. Can I pray for us and we'll jump in? Amazing. Uh, Real quick before I do that, anyone have a cell phone in the room? Hold it up so I can see it. Awesome. That means you have something to take notes with. Note takers are history makers, so make sure you write some things down and lean in. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, We're grateful um, that you really are enough. In whatever circumstance or season we find ourselves in, you are enough. And so I pray, God, that tonight your word would be enough, that it would transform our hearts and our lives, that we would leave this space different than the way we walked in. The reality is, Jesus, I can't do that. I can't say words that change people's lives, but you can. And so I ask that you would get me out of the way, that you would speak boldly and confidently to your people, and that we'd be transformed because of it. We love you, and we thank you. Speak now, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So my name is Gerald Fadiomi. I'm from Atlanta. Uh, I'm a church planner. My wife and I are planning a church in Roswell, Georgia, uh, but spent a number of years working um, around these churches and love Buckhead Church. I actually met Jesus in that back left corner of this room, um, and so it's always special for me to get a chance to be back here. A little bit about my family. Uh, I'm married. My wife is amazing. We have identical twin 18-month-old girls. I brought a picture because I'm a dad. Come on. Right. So that's my boo. Uh, And those are our daughters, Wesley Grace and Zoe Faith Fadiomi. They're 18 months, and they're amazing. Um, And then we just decided this year that we were going to really switch things up and make things a little bit more difficult and more fun in our world. And so we had another one. Her name is Trinity Hope. Uh, This is a picture of Bay right here. I know, right? She's so cute. Um, Trinity is amazing. I told my wife we needed to name her Trinity um, because that was my way of theologically closing the circle on girls. So I said, the next one, the next one is a boy. Jesus, it's a boy, right? Um, But I love my girls. I love getting to hang out with them. I love watching them grow up. I love getting to spend time with them. And in these last few months, it's been amazing just watching them grow and getting to enjoy moments and life together. But I'll tell y'all, before I had kids, I had a misconception of what having kids was going to be like. Like, I thought that immediately, like, coming out of the womb, that my kids were just going to be awesome, right? Right? They were going to come out of the womb, and we were going to be going on daddy-daughter dates, that they were going to be coming with princess outfits, that they would run to the front door and hug me and love me. I thought right out of the womb that they were going to behave and obey dad. Like, it was going to be amazing. I'd seen all the movies, and I couldn't wait to be a dad. And then my kids came home from the hospital. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, they're screaming at the top of their lungs. And then again at four, and again at five. And I remember looking at my wife one night, the first week that they're home, and I looked at her and I said, babe, why do they hate me? Like, why are they trying to ruin my life? Remember a couple other moments that were really difficult. One in particular, um, a couple of months in, both of my daughters started having these things called blowouts. Um, If you don't know what that is, consider yourself blessed and highly favored. Blowouts are a result of the fall that came directly from the devil. It's when your child poops and it doesn't stay in the diaper, right? And so my daughters were having these blowouts, and so I'd be trying to change the blowouts and keep the poop from getting on me. And if you've ever changed a baby, you know they have this, like, absurd, ridiculous strength that a 12 
pound thing should not have, right? And so you're changing the diaper and they roll over and you're like, ah, stop, right? And now the poop is not just on them, it's on my arm, it's on my clothes. And I had this misconception that being a dad was going to be the most fun, the most amazing time in the world. And don't hear me wrong, I love being a dad. But it was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. It was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was one thing, and I realized very quickly that it was something else. We're in week two of this series, started in the DMs, and now we're here. Shout out to Drake. Um, And we're talking this week about singleness. We're talking about singleness. And I started with that story because I think for a lot of us in the room, or at least I'll speak for myself, for a long time, I had a misconception about what singleness was and also what marriage is. Now, for a long time, I had a misconception of what singleness was and what marriage is. And as I've worked with young adults over the years, as I've sat with college students and high school students and young professionals, even now at our church, I realized that these two misconceptions are actually really common. Let's talk about singleness for a minute. Um, Where are my single people at in the room tonight? Amazing. Hold your hand up high and then see if anyone around you is cute. Um, talk about singleness for a second. The common misconception that I often see with singleness is is that singleness is kind of like a waiting room, you know? That that we see singleness as this this waiting room. You ever been in a waiting room before, you know there's there's really kind of two categories of people in a waiting room, right? Like there's the people who hang out in the waiting room and they're like, you know what, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to make it a good time while I'm here. These are the people who have like Uno cards in their book bag on deck all the time. They're ready to go. They're ready to play spades, Uno, whatever. Like they are ready to go. And so they're in the waiting room and they start chopping it up with other people like, yo, what's up? You trying to play? You want to get in on this game? And before you know it, there's like a crowd of people around them and they're all playing cards and they're laughing. And you're like, yo, I don't know what's going on with that group of people, but y'all seem to be having way too much fun. And so there's some people who are in the waiting room and they're like, I'm just going to have as much fun as I possibly can until my number gets called. And then there's another group of people in the waiting room. This is me. Where you're like, how long is the wait going to be, ma'am? An hour? An hour. Are you an hour to get a driver's license? An hour. Really? Okay. How long has it been? Three minutes. Really? Three Three minutes, that's it. An hour goes by. It's now been an hour and one minute. Excuse me, ma'am, ma'am. You said one hour. It has now been one hour, one minute, and 38.3 seconds. I need you to get me in the front, right? And, And you find yourself sitting in the waiting room, and you're agitated, you're annoyed, you're frustrated, and you're just going, I want to get out of this season, out of this space, out of this room as quickly as I possibly can. I do not want to be here. I am not enjoying this, and this should not be taking this long. And for a lot of us, this is how we view singleness. It's a waiting room. For some of us, it's let's have as much fun as we can until our number gets called. But date as many people as I can. Can I be real? Is this a place where I can be real? I'm going to hook up with as many people as I can. You're like, did he get that real? That real. I'm in college. I'm here for a good time. And then eventually, 
Y'all are laughing, but like some of y'all are laughing because you're like, yo, that, that is so true. I've run into too many people like that. And eventually I'll settle down and I'll get married and my number will get called, but for this season and this moment, I'm just gonna have as much fun as I, as I can. And the, the flip side of that is you leave a wake of hurt people in your, in your past, right? But the list of people who are hurt because of your good time just keeps adding up and adding up and adding up and adding up. Or you see it as a place where you're like, I just wanna get out of here. This is like relational purgatory. I don't wanna deal with this anymore. And so you are desperate to find the one. And for some of you, that's led you to some really bad relationships where you've settled for some things in a relationship that you knew were unacceptable, but you did not want to be alone. Waiting room. Let's talk about marriage. For a lot of us, we see marriage as the finish line. Oh, I'm going to get married. It's going to be some dude I met at the living room. I showed up, brother had his hands up during the worship song. Oh my goodness. It was not just one, it was two. The whole time they were singing, you were like, you are enough, right? We gonna meet, we'll date, we'll get married, we'll have 17 kids, it'll be amazing. Too many. Hear me though, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, lean in. We've seen marriage as the solution to our problems. Once I can get out of this season and cross this finish line, then I'll be happy. Then I won't deal with those issues anymore. Then I won't struggle in that. Can I tell you the number of young men, and I'm, again, I'm gonna get real, real for a second. The number of young men who thought, when I get married, I will not struggle with porn anymore. Because we're adults. I'll be able to have sex as much as I want. And then you get married. And you realize that's the first year. And it doesn't work that way. You see, the problem with porn is it's instant gratification. And then you get married and you expect that whenever I have an emotion or a feeling or a desire that my wife, because I have trained myself to get these things instantly, my wife is supposed to give me what I want instantly. And then she doesn't, and you find yourself right back where you were. All right, guys, I'll get off you for a second. Ladies. <laughs> Chill. Y'all are so extra. Ladies. Um, for some of y'all, I want to be loved, I want to be valuable, I want to feel important, I want to feel beautiful, and as soon as he says I do, he's committed to making me feel that way all the time. And then you get married, and you realize that you have placed an unrealistic expectation on your husband. And he cannot satisfy the desires of your soul. He can't compliment you enough to make you feel beautiful. He can't serve you enough to make you feel loved. You see, oftentimes we think, once we cross the finish line of marriage, my problems will go away. Can I just let you in on a secret? When you cross the finish line of marriage, your problems don't go away, your problems get amplified. Now there's someone who can see them all 
the time. And so for a lot of us, we've bought into these two lies, these two misconceptions, that if we're single, meaning not married for context, that we're just waiting for the moment that we can get out of this season. And while we're here, let's just have as much fun as we can, or let's just be miserable and bitter until we can get out of it. Or we think about marriage and we go, as soon as I can cross that finish line, everything is going to be perfect. But these are misconceptions. That's not the way we should see singleness, and it's not the way we should view marriage. So what I wanna do for the rest of our time is maybe give you a new perspective, a different way to see singleness, because if we could see it correctly, then I think we would engage with it appropriately. To do that, we're gonna be taking a look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter seven. Before we turn there, let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. If you've grown up in church, you've heard of Paul before. He used to be Saul, hated Christians, became a Christian, planted all of these churches, and then started writing these letters to these different churches to show them or encourage them in their faith. And the letter to 1 Corinthians is written because the church in Corinth that Paul helped start is now in a crazy, tumultuous season. There's all of these issues that are happening within the church, and it seems like everything is spinning out of control. And so Paul writes into this context to, to help them understand how to deal with some of these specific issues, five issues to be specific. The first is division. There's this division in the church that some people started following Jesus because of Paul, some people started following Jesus because of Peter, some people started following Jesus because this guy named Apollos, and now they become these super fans who are like, I'm with that guy, I'm with that guy, your guy's not good, my guy's the best, and they're arguing over who the better leader is, and Paul writes into that and goes, whoa, 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 time out. Did I save you? Did I die for you? No, 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 no. We are followers of Jesus. Don't get caught so caught up on a leader that you miss the person who's actually leading you. He writes into this division. He transitions and then he starts talking about an issue around sex and relationships that's happening in the church. If you actually read um, 1 Corinthians 5, you see there's this like specific kind of weird, crazy scenario that's happening where this guy, and be mature here for a second, this guy is sleeping with his mother-in-law and everyone in the church knows about it and they're good. That's why you should read your Bible. There's crazy stuff in there. And Paul writes into this and he's going, y'all are, what, what are you thinking? And so he spends a few chapters talking about, hey, this is the way you should view sex and this is the way that you should view relationships and this is the way that you should be, view singleness and marriage and we're gonna look at that section in just a second. Then he goes on and he starts talking about food because there's this weird tension that's happening about who's eating what and food that's offered to idols. And so now there's people who are going, well, if Christians can eat food that's offered to another God, then maybe you can follow Jesus and something else. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. It's Jesus alone. Then he writes in to the gathering, to the gathering of believers, to the church. And he goes, hey, some of you are experiencing these spiritual gifts. You're able to teach or preach or speak in certain ways and and because of that, your, your gatherings have gotten unorderly. So let me help you understand the giftings of the church and the way that a church gathering is supposed to work. And then lastly, he writes into this issue where there are some people who are going, hey, you know you can follow Jesus and not believe in the resurrection. And he's going, whoa, 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 absolutely not. No resurrection, no gospel. He rose again. He is alive. And that is our hope. 
And so Jesus, or Peter writes, or sorry, Paul writes into these five specific issues that are happening in the church in Corinth. And his whole goal, his whole point, and you're going to see this is important in a minute, his whole goal of this book is to help people see life through the lens of the gospel. That's the point of the book or the letter is he wants everyone to see every area and category of their life through the lens of the good news that Jesus came to the planet Earth, lived a perfect life, died for our sin, and rose again. And he's going, everything that you do should be seen through that lens. Or simply put, Paul is writing this book to the church in Corinth to help them learn to live like Jesus. He goes, this is how you live like Jesus. So with that as our backdrop, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, as Paul makes a statement and gives us a perspective shift on how we see singleness and how we see marriage. Verse 7, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. And so Paul, who's been single his entire life, dedicated to being a missionary and taking the good news of the gospel from city to city to city, planting churches everywhere that he went, writes to this church in Corinth through the lens, this is how you live like Jesus. He says this, I wish all of you were single like me because it's a far simpler life. Can I just tell you, marriage is really hard. I mean, it's amazing. It's so good. But it's difficult. It's a challenge. It comes with its own complexities. This is why it's not a finish line. Because when you cross the finish line, it's supposed to feel like all the problems are done. I've stopped striving and, see, and, and, and trying to reach a goal. I've won. I've won the race. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. You understand, once you cross the finish line of marriage, you're running into more problems. It's not going to be easy. Will it be amazing? Yes. Are you going to have a partner to walk with you? Yes. But is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Being single is a much simpler life, he would say. And then he goes on to go, while it's simpler, I need you to hear me. It doesn't mean it's for everyone. See, for some, some people, they're going to get married, and that'll be awesome for them. And other people, they'll stay single, maybe for a season, maybe for their whole life, and that will be awesome for them. And it's almost like he's leveling the playing field. He's going, you see, some of you think this is better than that, and you need to know, no, 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 no. It just might be better for you. Some of you think you're, you have to be married in order to be a good Christian. Ah, no, 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 no. Maybe they needed that, but not necessarily for you. And then he goes on to give us the perspective that he wants us to have of singleness. He says this, God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. That God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. Notice the language. It's not God gives the waiting room to some where you just have to struggle and be alone and have no hope and have no joy, and then God gives the prize to others. He goes, no, 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 no. God gives this gift 
to each individual according to who they are and where they are. And the perspective that Paul wants us to see singleness with is this, is that singleness is a gift from God. That singleness is a gift from God. Now, some of you might hear that and be like, yeah, Gerald, that sounds good. You're supposed to say that, preacher guy, but here's the deal. It might be a gift, but it's a gift that I'm not really looking for and I don't really want. And I feel you. But can I just tell you about one of the greatest gifts I think I've ever gotten from another human on this planet? I think I was around 20 or 21. I can't remember exactly how old. It was around Christmas, and every year my, my parents would ask, like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? I have two brothers that always ask us, what do you want? And nine out of ten times, they get us either what we want or something similar to what we wanted, you know. And so that year I asked for something. I can't really remember what it was. It was probably a pair of Jordans because that's just who I am. And so I was like, yeah, I want this pair of shoes, whatever. Christmas Day comes. I show up at the house. All of my siblings are there. We're going through an opening presents, and my dad hands me the gift that he got for me. And I remember picking up the gift, and it was like the same like size and shape as whatever it was that I had asked for that year. So I was pretty fired up, you know, like, oh, I got the gift that I wanted. I got those J's or whatever it was. Like, I got that thing that I was looking for. And so I start ripping through the paper, and I get to the box, and I'm expecting it to say Nike. And instead, what I find inside the box is a drill. And you know that moment where someone gives you something and they're like fired up about what they gave you and you're like, why did you give me this, you know? You ever gotten that sweater from your grandma and you're like, thanks so much, I hate you, right? Um, and so my dad gives me this drill and I'm like, I, don't, I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. Like I was not expecting to open the box and find this. This is a gift that I was not looking for. You know what's funny about that drill? So after I moved out of my parents' house and bought my, or rented my first apartment, first thing I pulled out so I could hang some paintings on the wall in my house was a drill. You know that, right? Then I met my wife. And I remember specifically, like, this moment where she called me and she was like, hey, I'm, like, working on something at the house, and I don't think I have the tools that I need. Like, do you think you could come over and help? And I remember grabbing my drill and coming over to help her. I remember us moving into our first apartment together and hanging pictures from our marriage together with the drill that my dad had gave me that Christmas. I remember buying our first house, and my, my wife watched, watches way too much HGTV, and so as soon as we got in the house, she was like, that wall has to go now, right? And so we move into the house, and we start renovating, and I'm kicking down walls and rebuilding things, and the whole time I'm holding this drill that my dad gave me. And just as recent as today, my wife and I just moved to a new house in Roswell, like literally today moved into the house. And I'm moving things and there's some screws in the wall and so I grabbed this drill that my dad gave me and I'm unscrewing the, the screws out of the walls in my girl's room. And I'm standing in the room that my daughters are gonna grow up in using the gift that my dad gave me. And in the moment, I did not want the gift. In the moment, I thought, you knew what I wanted and you gave me this crap? In the moment, I thought, what are you thinking? Like, could I have not been more clear? This is what I want. Travis Scott, Jordan once. You showed up with a drill. It's funny, the more that I used the gift, the more that I appreciated it. And the more that I used the gift, the more I realized just how much I needed it. You know what's crazy? It's my dad's not God, 
but my dad could look at my life and see where I was headed and knew what I needed to get there. My dad could see my first apartment before I moved into it. He could see my future relationship. He could see my first home. He could see me having kids and raising them in a house. And he went, what do I need? What does Gerald need in order to be who he needs to be in that season, in that place, in that chapter? And so my dad gave me the gift according, not to what I wanted, but according to what he knew I needed. Hear me tonight. Singleness is a gift from God. He is not withholding something from you. He is not waiting for you to prove yourself over here so eventually you can cross the finish line. He's not trying to keep joy and happiness and relationship out of your life. No, 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 no. Your heavenly father knows you and knows what you need and is giving you a gift to help you reach the actual finish line. Which is what? Marriage? Mm -mm. You remember what the book was about? The book was about living like and looking like Jesus. That's the finish line. The scripture says it like this, that we would be conformed into the image of the son. S-O-N. Meaning that at the end of our life, we would go through a process called sanctification where each and every day we would go through some things, we would face some things, we would enjoy some things that would ultimately lead us to the finish line of looking more like Jesus. And Paul goes, guys, 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 don't miss this. God has given some the gift of singleness and some the gift of marriage, not because he loves some better than others, not because he wants some to be happy and some to be unhappy. No, 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 He's given you these gifts because he knows some of you need this in order to be like Jesus and some of you need someone to help you and encourage you to become more like Jesus. But the goal at the end of the day is not a person. The goal at the end of the day is Jesus. And he's going, I am giving you a gift to lead you to become more like me. And so what do you do with that kind of gift? It's simple. Use it. Use the gift. Can you imagine the joy that my dad feels when he walks into my house and he sees me using that drill? Can you imagine the joy your heavenly father feels when he sees you in a moment going, you know what? If God has given me the gift of singleness, then I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. I'm going to lean in, not run away. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to become more like him. In fact, Paul, later in the same chapter, he actually talks about what it looks like to use the gift. Let's skip down, verse 32 through 35. It says this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking of how to please him being God. But a married man has to think about these earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about these earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit not to place a restriction on you, not to keep you from something. No, 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 no. I want to do whatever will, I can, what, or I want you to do whatever will help you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So Paul goes, 
Hey, you know how you use the gift? You use it doing the Lord's work and thinking about what pleases him and being fully devoted to him. That's how you use the gift. You use the gift by going, okay, where I am right now, I have an opportunity to choose. Am I going to get bitter or better? Am I going to become discouraged or am I going to find encouragement in Jesus? Am I going to worry about a relationship or am I going to deepen my relationship with God? And for some of you, that journey is just a season, few years. But for others of us, that journey is the rest of our lives. And that can be really hard to hear. Because as the church, we've painted this picture that this is what's supposed to happen for you. Eventually, you're supposed to get married and live happily ever after. And friends, can I tell you, that is not what God has promised you. God has promised you love, peace, patience, self-control. He's promised to be with you. He's promised he's for you. He's proved that on the cross. He has promised to lead you through a process to becoming more like him. He's promised to make you whole. He's promised to restore you, to redeem you. He's promised you an abundant life, life to the full, but he has not promised you a relationship. And when we put the relationship on the pedestal, we miss out on who should be on the pedestal in the first place. It's Jesus. The one who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you could experience life and life to the full. And so you use the gift. You use the season. You press in and you become who Jesus has called you to be. I want to give you five super quick ways to do this. This is going to be really fast. I don't have a lot of time. One, spend this time seeking after God. Make that your primary relationship. Dig into the scriptures. Learn his character. Learn who he is and learn what he says is true about you. Number two, spend some time serving the church. For some of you, you have spent all of your life thinking about you. Maybe this is the season that you think about some people other than you. And the church is the best place for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus, for you to find purpose and experience the life that Jesus has come to offer you. Number three, cultivate deep friendships. Being single does not mean you have to be alone. Dig into deep friendships and deep relationships. Number four, go on a mission trip. Get out of your context and go and serve someone who has less than you. Number five, invest in yourself. Become the person that God has ultimately called you to become. Use the gift. The finish line is not marriage. The finish line is becoming like Jesus. And singleness is a gift that God has given you to lead you towards that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we do thank you indeed for that gift. We thank you for knowing that we need it. For being a good father who knows the needs of his children and who gives according to those. And so right now, God, I pray for the young man or young woman who feels alone and who was bought into the lie that a relationship will solve their problem. Father, I pray that right now you would break that in their heart and that you would show them that you are the only one who can ultimately satisfy them and that you are the only relationship that they actually need. Would you help them to lean into you? For the young man or young woman who has had the wrong perspective on marriage, who has thought that that would be the solution to their problems, I pray, God, that whatever it is that they're wrestling with now, that you would use this season of singleness to sanctify them 
to help them to become more like you? Would you surround them with some great people who will encourage them, who would challenge them, who would hold them accountable to becoming the people you called them to be? For all of us, God, I pray that we would not miss that the finish line of our life is that we would look like you, we would live like you, and we would love like you. So help us to do that. Help us to be who you've called us to be, to run after you, to run our race with our eyes fixed on you, remembering all along the way that you are enough. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together real loud, amen. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Living Room ATL. Remember TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.